Hello and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where we usually go back and we check out a Netflix original film in the order of release. But today we're doing a very, very special episode because we're discussing a 2021 film, which is a crime thriller called The Guilty. It's directed by Anton Fuqua and it stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Ethan Hawke, Riley Keough, Christina Vidal Mitchell, Ali Gore, Devine Joy. Randolph, Paul Dano, and Peter Skarsgård. I am Jesse, and I am here with MJ, and I'm very excited. How are you? I know you're excited. We're so not used to doing a bonus episode that you even couldn't quite spit out 2021. <laughs> you sort of fumbled on getting that one out. Well, I don't usually read the intro because we've done it so many times. I just go straight off. I'm like, hang on, I've got, I've got to change this a little bit because we're not numbering it. And the numbering's becoming more difficult as we, um, we progress through this. Uh, because yeah, Netflix uh, obviously uh, changing and changing and all that sort of stuff. But uh, we're not giving this a number because yeah, we are in 2021 and we're doing a 2021 film. It would probably be around oh, let's, let's say by now they would have done over 400 Netflix original films, maybe even 500, yeah. something like that. <laughs> something like that. But it just feels like it's getting further and further away because I felt we were we thought we were going to get up to date at some stage but it's, we, we did the podmas we did all this stuff and then not not happening it's crazy that we thought that so we're up to almost almost 160 we're up to so if you haven't listened to us before you can check out our back catalog with the first 160 netflix original films and we will be releasing one every single week uh yes. in order of their release so what are we up Ready? to like mid 2019 yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. So, um, yeah, we, we're yeah. still two years behind and yeah, hundreds of films <laughs> that we've, we've got to go. But uh, we'll, we'll get into today because we, we want to talk about The Guilty. Um, so this obviously is uh, fresh off the press, only came out last week from when we're recording. And we start off with our fast flick. So give us your short little quick take on this one. Yeah, so fast flicks for the guilty. I've got a, a disgruntled cop who has been demoted to respond to 911 calls, has to navigate his way through a live kidnapping whilst trying to keep his own personal baggage in check. Ooh, I, I like that. You've got the, the situation and um, the own personal sort of demons, which is uh, good to see because I've gone with the same. That's this it. is uh, It's an emergency call operator who reveals the truth about himself through a night of frantic incidents. Oh, that's, yeah, my, mine's very literal. Yours is a little bit more thought in that one. I like it. I think they're very similar because we've both covered the same thing. It's, it's about him working yeah. as an operator and obviously revealing more about himself um, through those calls. That's it. All right. Well, what this is obviously uh, fairly new, so we don't have a lot of uh, history behind you know, the uh, massive amount. So we can just take what we know from uh, the making of it. But what, what can you tell us about this film? Yeah, again, I, I wasn't particularly aware of anything about this film apart from the, the lead character and the director having a Netflix original film, which is probably going to be enough to get most people to watch it in the first place. But um, this is based on a, a Danish film called, called The Guilty. Um, and that film was released in 2018. Looks to be quite highly acclaimed. I think it was even nominated uh, uh, for an Academy Award. So basically, so that was released in 2018. December of that same year, it was announced that Jake Gyllenhaal had acquired the rights to this film. Um, and he was planning on starring and producing a, a remake under his own production banner. Um, so that was pretty quick. Obviously, watched the film, liked the film and thought, all right, we're going to do this uh, remake styles. Um, 
September 2020. So what's that from where we are right now? Just over a year ago was when it was announced that Anton Fuqua would direct and also produce the film. They had a screenplay written by Nick Kizilato. Uh, and then about a month after those announcements, Netflix had acquired the worldwide rights to this film uh, for $30 million. Now, I do have some comp titles. I know $30 million isn't necessarily a production budget, but it is what they acquired it for. So it gives us a bit of an idea of uh, what this film is sort of worth. And obviously there's lots and lots of $30 million films being made in, in history because it's such a round number, such a clear number. But I tried to get some things for the last 10 years. Not as many films in the last 10 years have been made for $30 million. So from a comparison perspective, we've got movies like Crazy Rich Asians, uh, we've got The Vow, we've got District 9, Looper, Sicario, John Wick, Cabin in the Woods, Last Christmas, a movie that you and I saw back when uh, back when we could go to the cinemas and it was kind of normal to go to the cinemas. Gosh, that feels like a lifetime ago. It sure does. <laughs> I think you can sort of see that $30 million is uh, not a lot. They're, they're pretty small films. These the films that I've mentioned, obviously, ones that have done pretty well, but you know they're generally a small budget film. So um, watching this film, you can probably understand it is a small budget film. Don't I, re- I, reckon, too much. I reckon so that I reckon they would have only spent about five mil on this, and the other twenty five mil has gone straight into Jill Hall's pocket. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he was he was the one behind it from the start. He acquired the rights himself, so there's obviously an investment from him mm. uh, emotionally. That whether he needs the financial backing, who knows? Because it's not like Netflix and and Anton Fuqua had to get Jake Gyllenhaal on board. He he kind of just was already there. Yeah. So who knows? Um, so principal photography for the film began in Los Angeles in November 2020. Obviously, this was rife during the COVID-19 pandemic, which kind of is a thing around the world. Um, the filming lasted for just 11 days, uh, three days before production. Um, a person in contact with director Anton Fuqua tested positive for COVID-19. Um Fuqua actually tested negative subsequently after it. So the production was still on schedule, but he did direct the entire film from a van with screens. So he had access to the cameras. He could maintain contact with the cast and the crew, but pretty crazy when you think about, I know quarantine when people do get COVID or they become close associated with someone with COVID, you're talking about a 14 day quarantine that you got to do. And when you're doing an 11 day shoot, it's basically just completely derailed the entire film. So they've done well to work around that. And obviously, that is just a sign of the times and things that they would have to deal with. So um, they made the film, had its world premiere at the 2021 Toronto International Film Festival on the 11th of September this year. And then it was released uh, in a limited capacity in cinemas on the 24th of September before releasing last week on Netflix on October 1. And that is how we get to see it in the beauty and comfort of our lounge room. Correct. And um, if you are interested in uh, sort of hearing a little bit more about how it was put together, there is an official Netflix podcast that uh, has about a half hour chat with Jake Gyllenhaal about this, uh, the whole process and about the direction from a van and, you know, having two guys stand out the front of the van to make sure no one went near the van and make sure that, um, that Antone was, um, you know, isolated by himself. It's, it's a crazy, crazy story. Um, Obviously, most, if you've listened to this podcast and listened to our trailer episode, you know I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, of Jakey Boy <laughs> myself. So uh, that that podcast uh, 
from Netflix. If you just search Netflix podcasts, um, he does come across as a little bit pompous um, <laughs> and not, not quite down to earth as I um, as I was hoping he may be. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely worth a listen if you've enjoyed this film and want to hear a little bit more about uh, where this is uh, this this film came together. I guess the the as you mentioned, it's based on the original film, the Danish film from 2018. I, I I did catch up with MJ over the weekend. We did our little, um, you know, when we allowed a little catch up and a picnic and a, a exercise session, and we, we chatted about we'd seen this film. And, yeah, all COVID safe. Um, I went after that chat. I went and watched the original as well, uh, just to to have oh, that context. Yeah. I did. Yeah, uh, I paid my 2.99 on uh on YouTube to to watch it. Uh, so I. I've seen both now and I can bring a little bit of that context to this conversation, I guess. Uh, I'll probably save a little bit of the the comparisons for a bit later on, because I'll put right now a spoiler alert. Uh, if you haven't watched this, and I, I think a lot of people have jumped on in the first week, but if you haven't, um, give us a pause now, because as we go a little bit further into this, we're probably going to spoil this uh, this film quite, uh, quite a bit because it's hard to talk about it without actually discussing the scenarios that happen in this film. Uh, so give us a pause, come back. But before we do that, I will um, mention some other little things, the translations for this film across the world, which I uh, we always like to have a little bit of a giggle at uh, what it's called in different places around the globe. And in French, oh, in France, the, the French part of Canada, it's called Without Appeal. In the Czech Republic and Hungary, it's called The Culprit. So all, all similar sort of tie-ins. Um, and the same with in Mandarin, it's called the sinner. <laughs> These are this, and this is the last part where it sort of changes to become a bit more literal because in Taiwan it's called the wiring chase. So they've they've literally gone with the telephone wires and, and chasing <laughs> someone down. <laughs> and then the same with uh, Vietnam, they've called it the tracing switchboard. <laughs> so um, always. <laughs> Always give us a little bit of a, a giggle. And then I'll, I'll finish off here just with the that's, tagline. That's a less sexy one. It is, yeah, very switchboard's not a very sexy one. <laughs> uh, we'll finish off with the tagline. And the tagline is listen carefully. So I, I don't mind that. Yeah, I don't mind that as well. You know, I like a tagline. I'll allow that one. I think the, the one thing that I took out of everything that you said was that Netflix has an official podcast and they haven't thought to employ us? Is that yeah? Is that what you're reading, or you think the the letter's still in the mail? So I I listen to a lot of movie podcasts, and I think Netflix at this stage have three official podcasts. So they have one that just covers their true crime documentaries and films. There's one that mm-hmm. uh, sort of just interviews the big players of the the films that are put out. So they'll interview the directors and the um the actors and things like that and there's another one that is sort of more like a, a bit like us a bit of a, a two-person combo that mm. discuss things um i'm sorry i missed the the fourth and final one is there is actually an australian netflix podcast <laughs> um oh, which goodness. is a female and male based in sydney that uh hasn't they haven't released an episode in a while but yeah they're they've obviously missed us somewhere <laughs> okay all right. Well, uh, we'll we'll keep doing what we do, and hopefully we get the tap on the shoulder soon. That would be nice. That would be very nice. Um, let's talk about the consensus for this one. What what, what have you been able to find out so far? Because it's very early. Yes. Well, I, I just realised this. So I, I probably got these numbers on IMDb and Letterboxd a couple of days ago. So it might have okay, might good. have changed. But so let's highlight some context yeah, you for you because 
uh, I did my notes yesterday and then I was like this morning before we recorded, I'd update them and they'd change by about 5,000 uh, numbers just within 12 hours. So um, yeah, mm. let's, let's do a bit of a comparison. Go for it. Hit us off with what you had. Which makes sense, right? I mean, we don't normally, um, we don't normally cover a film so long after, so, so shortly after it's been released. So it's a 6.3 out of 10 IMDb. I'm wondering, I'm assuming that that might not have changed, Jesse, the 6.3 still relevant. 6.3 is the same, yep. So I've got 25,000 ratings. So maybe it's about 30,000 ratings. Yeah, it's up to almost 34,000 as of this morning. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah, that's, yeah, a lot of eyeballs, nice and quickly for Netflix. Um, and Letterboxd was at a 3.5 off around 27, 28,000 ratings. It still sits, it sits on a, on a three on Letterboxd now. Um, and that's on 37,500. Wow. So again, 10,000 <laughs> yeah. again. Um, so they'd, look, they'd be pretty happy with those numbers, to be perfectly honest. And yeah, we uh, always talk about three, three being par. So yeah, the and Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it's it went up a little bit overnight where it sits at a fresh on seventy percent, and that's on one hundred and thirty nine reviews, so up a couple of reviews too. Wow. The audience actually dropped a bit, uh, so it's gone down. It was above fifty, and it's gone down to forty nine percent, and that's on over two hundred and fifty ratings. So the audience on Rotten Tomatoes not necessarily liking this one as much. Interesting. Um... We're probably going to see those numbers continue to fluctuate quite a bit, but I think the one thing that they'd be happy about is the fact that there's lots and lots of households watching it. Yes, I think that um, they'd be very, very happy with the numbers they've got so far, just in you know, mm. five days or so since it's been released. So, yeah, big numbers. It's such an easy conversion too. I know we spoke about this briefly, the fact that it's a 90-minute runtime and it's got a big Hollywood superstar in it. So straight away, you, you're not you're not having to be sold on too much. You're not committing over too much of your time and you know you're in safe hands. So it makes a lot of sense. Excellent. Well, let's lead into our early thoughts. What are your early thoughts for The Guilty? Yeah, I think I think they did a pretty good job for what it was. Um, you know, I just spoke about the runtime, but despite the fact that it was only 90 minutes, it still felt like a, a slow burn, but they kind of got that slow burn right because they really do ease you into this reveal for lack of a better term, as well as that sort of heart pumping conclusion that you do, that they do do pretty well. Um, and I think it's, it's clouded with enough mystery and intrigue to make this whole single location film work pretty well. So it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. I, I hadn't seen the original before I watched this one. So I had no expectations about it. Uh, I had no idea what this was about the the original it's it's pretty much verbatim uh there there are very huh. few changes uh between the dialogue the situations etc I'll, I'll touch on them a little bit later on the, the small differences um but you know I, because i didn't know the story I, I was along for the ride on this one and i think Hall's performance in this one and i know that i like him personally but i think <clears> his <throat> performance in this was pretty top-notch um and I was, I felt tense, like that whole 90 minutes. Like I was literally just like, oh my God, what's happening? This is, this is pretty full on. Um, so I was pretty into it. I like hearing that, that they've kept it pretty true to the original. I think so often, if you've got a really good original that they want to remake in another language, so you're telling a slightly different story. So often people feel like they have to take this creative control and they feel like they're not, you know, putting their own flavor on it if they change, unless they change things. But so often... If there's a really good film, 
just make it again. I'm okay with just making it again. And obviously every sort of character and actor is going to have their own sort of quirks, but if it works, let's, let's do an American version of it. I'm fine with that. So it's, it's nice to hear that. Good. All right. Well, let's talk about some characters. Um, hit us off with who you want to start with. Well, there's one character that's on the screen for most of the film, so it feels <laughs> it feels appropriate to start with uh, with Joe Baylor. Um, look, as I know, look, I, I like I like Jay. Is it Gyllenhaal or Gyllenhaal? I think it's Gyllenhaal. I think. Okay. Ninety nine percent sure it's cool. Gyllenhaal. I like Jake Gyllenhaal as well. I don't like him as much as you, um, but I, he, he's a great actor and, and basically always has been. I reckon I first saw him in Donnie Darko and um, he really projected um, off the back of that. But I just think he really does play some unlikable guys in his roles. And, and I immediately disliked this character. And I actually don't know if that was the real intention of the opening of this film, because I think the plan was to very quickly set up his situation and his headspace, um, which can be really difficult to do when you've got someone who's not leaving a desk for an entire film. Um, I just feel like they may have pushed it a little bit too far because he's, he's a jerk and he's kind of one of the boys, but in, in a bad way, like the whole boys club type, that type feel, which is you get with the phone calls with Ethan Hawke. Um, he doesn't take orders very well, and he's he's really irrational. Um, and some of these things are fine as a character. I just didn't like him at the start, and I, I grew to like him, and I sort of grew with him. But I don't think I was supposed to dislike him as much as I disliked him. So the first few minutes, I was like, I don't know about this guy. Um, but I guess one of the main parts of the success of this film is is whether we buy his his arc in this film. And for me, I think I think I'm going to allow it. I, I'm just going to allow his arc in this film only because. He does go through a lot in these few hours that he encounters. And, and the call that he's dealing with is, is obviously a very significant event. And, and you combine with the fact that he's obviously working through everything alongside calls to his ex and calls to his mate about his court case. And, and there's a lot happening in his life in this little period to have such a big shift of emotion from where he goes from the start of the film to the end of the film. But I'm only just allowing it. I think I got into this film and I got into this character but I think there'd be people watching going, yeah, but are you seriously going from here to here at the end of the film and, and everything is just changed in your mind? I don't know. But I, I, I'm going to say it works just. I, I really like your take on that. And I think that you've, you've put it really nicely because I think that, yeah, he wasn't a, a very likable character to start with. And I, I think I liked the acknowledgement of even himself referring to himself as an asshole. So he knows that he's not a good person. And I, th- I think that, him acknowledging that early on clearly sort of makes it, yeah, like it sort of makes it acceptable a little bit that it's not that they want you to think that he's a good guy. Um, so I think that was a good mm. way because, and that as you go through, you know, he doesn't care about anyone else except himself. And it's really obvious through this that he does have this connection with his daughter and, you know, even he's not able to see her or whatever the, the situation is there with his ex-wife. Um, you know, it's all about him. It's all about him as a person because he wants the ex-wife there as the trial because it'll look good for him. And, mm. um, you know, he doesn't think about anyone other than himself or the impact that this would have on his daughter. So that idea of him not being a, a good character and, and, you know, obviously we're, we're spoiling, spoiling it a little bit. It, I don't even know where we get to at the end, whether he has actually had that, that arc change. Um, and I'm okay with that. I'm not, I'm not. Um, hmm. I'm not necessarily concerned because I, I, I think that they did a good enough job throughout to 
prove that, okay, maybe just a small little change in his personality is okay towards the end to say that, okay, I, I need to, to, to be a better person. I need to accept what I've done rather than being like, I've completely changed. And I think that was okay. Yeah, that's a good call as well. And to be honest, the film for me is <laughs> the, the essence of the film is almost more than his character development because similarly to you, I was, you know, the intensity of especially those final sort of scenes was, was really exhilarating. Yeah. All right. Well, who have you got next? I've got Emily next, uh, who was played by Riley Keo, voiced by Riley Keo. Obviously, we only hear her on the phones. Um, I think as well, I, I, maybe I'm being a bit harsh. You, you kind of get a bit of a free pass when you have a character who suffers from a mental illness that includes delusions because there's no longer that you have this rope that you have to work with in regards to the character movements to advance the plot and, and in this case, work in a bit of a twist because um, they can kind of go anywhere and, <laughs> and you can make sense of it. But what I did like is, is the way that we got eased into it with Emily. I, I mean, we had no reason not to believe the sincerity of her call when the reveal finally happened. Um, you know, we'd slowly, we, we'd slowly been exposed to her crazy, but at the start, it was just like a normal 911 call that would happen in the exact same way that we expected to happen. So for me, the, the pieces of the puzzle all kind of came together about a minute or two before the penny dropped. And I, I think I liked that. I did like that they sort of eased you into it, that it wasn't just like, hang on, she's crazy. They sort of dropped those hints just leading into it, which which actually made that work really nicely. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think that the ability for this to happen was through that we empathize or I empathize with her anyway, because we were seeing her through the point of view of Joe. So, and I think that's a really clever technique, and especially in this film where he is that, that grounding point is that really the only character that you see, you don't see any of these other characters. So all you can do is take his point of view and how he's feeling and his reactions to it. So that slow reveal, as you mentioned, uh, it does work well because you feel like you're in Joe's position where you're like, okay, straight mm. away, I'm going to try and protect this person. Um, and then obviously it, it, it leads elsewhere. So yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And, and so probably similar to that is with, with Henry and, you know, we don't get too much of this character, but I just probably want to mention that it works the same way that his appearances on the phone make sense with the twist and it makes sense without the twist because it's exactly how you would imagine a person dealing with this situation. It, it's a clean and simple reveal and someone who's smarter than me probably saw it coming a mile away. I don't know. But the fact that it's not a complicated reveal when you're dealing with different personalities makes it work even better. And again, Henry's story kind of all adds up as well. And everything about this adds up. Even the phone calls to the kid adds up because that's how a kid would react. You know, I want to see my mum. So again, you've got no reason to think like this mum is you know, delusional or, or causing harm or pain to the family because that's what the daughter sees her, your mum's you know, superhero. Okay. So um, it all kind of fits in really nicely. Yeah, like like Henry, it was obviously they needed that for for the film to work really, but he's just not a smart dude. Like there are so and it's it's for the film, but there are so many other ways or different ways he could have dealt with this situation um, than just put Emily in that car and drive. Uh, you know, he obviously mm. loves his kids the same way as Joe, and um, and that to me could have been a connection that Joe could have made, like. He's very, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but Joe's very brash, as we mentioned. He doesn't even attempt to make that, that connection with Henry on the phone about the kids because 
he's obviously missing his daughter and and based on the background knowledge that that joe's put together he knows that henry hasn't had that big role in his kid's life so that would have been, that could have been a nice little connection that um that you know obviously it's not going to work with the plot very well but it, it would have made a nice little connection between the two but i think in a sense the fact that he mentions hey your kids are because the first phone call he makes he's not He's, he's basically keeping his cover a little bit by saying, hey, your kids are at home. We can't get in touch with their mum. Can you go check on them? And he was like, oh, no, I can't. So straight away, he's like, well, hang on. My kids, my, my daughter means everything to me. For you to just say no, they're, all, they're off guard straight away. Yeah, but, and but I completely get that. But at the same time, he we've seen um, Joe trying to connect with his daughter at the same time, and he can't get through to her either. So mm-hmm. why can't he get through to that kid? Well, why can't Henry get through to his kid? There's probably more to the situation. Um, I don't know. Maybe, Gosh, I'm just yeah. 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 Sorry, keep going. Yeah, add another layer. Now, nah, look, there's actually not much more. There's no other characters that I really wanted to talk about, to be perfectly honest. I, I only put in Abby the the daughter because this was the the one character that I could actually, I know I could visualize because we don't see any of the other characters. And I feel like the tone and the, the performance created this, this real innocent character um, who's obviously dealing with these complexities of the split of the family, an unwell mother, um, a dad who doesn't have much time with her. doesn't know her too well. And I just, I just really appreciated that, that performance through the voice, I guess. Yeah, so no, no she was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there was sincerity to it as well. I mean, her dad's also seems well in and out of jail, or if not, in, you know, up against the law. So, um, yeah, it's kind of it was really harrowing when you sort of found out about her brother. You know, she's in the house with her brother. Like, it's yeah, that was that was tough. Tough. All right, did you want to say anything about the director, Anton Fuqua? Fuqua. Ah. Oh. Like yeah, what, what I was actually going to ask you what your favorite Anton Fuqua film is, but yeah, he's 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 great. It's great that he's doing a Netflix film. I'm a big fan of probably three or four of his films, to be honest. Well, yeah, I, I thought this was interesting. I thought we'd do a little bit of a I'll do a little bit of an on the spot uh, challenge for you because so I've um I won't say I'll, I'll pause because IMDb they put like the top four um, productions that a person's been involved with. And who, okay, if you want to try and guess them, see if you can, because two of these ones that I thought would have been there weren't there. Well, are they, because I don't know if he's got like producer credits of films that he hadn't directed that they put up there or anything, or are are the four films, four films? Just go with, yeah, four from the ones that he's directed. Okay, so he's directed them all. It has to be Training Day. No, not in his top four. <laughs> That's why I was surprised. I'm not, go, so the game, I'm game not playing then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly thought that would have been the first one. Um, no, it, yeah, wasn't, it in the, wasn't in the top four. So the and the first one, the first one was Magnificent Seven, his remake of the the Western film, which I was yeah. I would have put that in there, but I, yeah, I didn't think it'd be number one. What about like uh Equalizer? Equalizer's number two. Well done. <laughs> um yeah. Number three is a film that I, I used to teach uh, also with Jake Gyllenhaal. So Southpaw sits in at the third. Southpaw. Yeah. Southpaw is great. Yep. And then the fourth was Brooklyn's Finest, which I haven't actually seen, um, okay. but that no, was his top four. So then the other one that I, I thought was a big, um, big uh, omission was Tears of the Sun, which is that the film with Bruce Willis, which I thought would have been in that top four as well. But uh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> the fact that Training Day is not in there is just yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> okay good i'm glad i'm glad you agree because i was like i I need to try and incorporate this somehow (laughs) it's not based on 
box office, is it? No. I think it's based on IMDb no. um, like ratings. ratings and people searching and things like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's let's um let's get into some scenes. What are some things that you liked about uh, this film? Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to sort of pinpoint actual scenes because it does flow as sort of one not one shot but one sort of singular. It really feels like the whole thing happens in real time, even though you sort of know at one stage he looks at his clock, his watch, and it's ten past two, and then at the end it's ten past six. But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, 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 I sort of mentioned this before talking about Emily's character, but I really like that the, the, the twist reveal and the way they ease you into it, that conversation that he's having with Emily about going to the aquarium and when he's trying to calm her down and he clearly successfully calms her down, but to the point where she slips into this delusional state and um, has a connection with Joe, but then she starts talking about the snakes. And I think when you hear the snakes, that's when you really know what's going on. You're like, hang on, this is, yeah completely out of the blue that we're talking about snakes and she's obviously the reveal and it's it's tough it's hard to swallow when you sort of realize that she's stabbed her baby child because she thinks snakes in his stomach and um but it was a really good scene it it came along really nicely nice the only other scene that i sort of have is is right at the end when he's in the bathroom um i thought it was great the way he sort of collapsed on the floor i guess he throws up and then he sort of just lays down because not that i was at that point but i I felt similarly exhausted by the end of this film because you are going through it and that's the sign of a of a well-made film but he seemed at the end of his line and the that reaction was perfect i think i I just i think i just appreciated him doing what i kind of wanted to do i just wanted to like lay on the floor and take a few deep breaths because they build and they create that tension so well um and, and they close it really nicely with that scene too. So it's a big tick for me there as well. Excellent. Um, so I guess straight away when Joe's in the toilet and he's got this puffer in his hand, there's these wild bushfires or fires in the back, wildfires in the background. And I was wildfires. like, I, connect, I connected straight away because I was like, whenever we've got fires, I've got my puffer out and I'm like, I'm going at it because I can't breathe. So um, that got me straight away. I was like, okay, cool. I, I you know what bothered me about that though? He barely used the asthma fupper. He kept sort of playing with it, playing and with he it. never actually, he never actually used it. That it's maybe uh, from the original. The the guy had a stress ball, so um, oh. it's a little bit of a change, I guess. So the guy had a stress ball the whole time, whereas uh, yeah, he's used the puffer as a, a fidget sort of uh, device, I guess. Mm. Um, okay. The the first call that Joe sort of took, I, I didn't mind the comedic element where you work out this guy's got a prostitute in the car with him and, and you know, refers to her as voluptuous and, and you know, Joe's yeah. trying not to laugh. I thought that was that was a nice little start off of what's going to be quite a tense film. Um, Did you know that was Paul Dano? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I didn't know that at the time until I, uh, no, I didn't, the I didn't laugh till after as well. Um, yeah. And then the same with the other, the other one that they sort of bring in a bit later where the guy hurts his knee and, um, you know, Joe's like, you know, <sighs> Call an Uber, asshole, and just hangs up. I was like, he's so committed to what he's working on that doesn't matter who, anyone else. I'm focused on this job. Uh, that was that was made me laugh too. Um, and I think that the Joe he's getting so desperate on that phone where he admits that he's killed a man, and and then he you know further explains that it was a boy, and he didn't have an explanation as to why he did it except because he could and. You know, it's something that he's been fighting hard against for obviously this this last twelve months or however long it's been, and and it comes out because he's so involved in the situation. I, I just enjoyed that as well. 
Um, mm. And then finally, yeah, Emily sort of saying that, you know, she's on that overpass and she's saying, you know, I'm going to go to be with Oliver now. And then just disconnects that phone, that tension that I was just like, oh, what's going to happen now? Mm-hmm. I was just like sitting there waiting. Okay, I need hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. What, what's, this, what's the resolution? Um, so a couple of good little moments there. Yeah, no, I think I probably agree with most. Although I, I must admit, the stuff at the start, I was kind of like with the phone calls. I'm like, if I'm calling nine one one, I don't want to deal with this asshole. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm calling for a reason. I, I, I got the comedic value, but like, don't be such an asshole. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, all right, is there anything that you didn't like in this? Well, one thing, and I don't know how accurate this actually is, and if it is, it, it would bother me. But I just thought that the police, in general, were very unhelpful in this whole situation. And and even things like the tracking system that they have to track someone's mobile phone, I would have thought it would have been a little bit more accurate. But even so, when he's like, look, I've kind of got the idea of where they are. Like, oh, we need more information than that. It's like, do you really? Like, if you're telling me that someone is kidnapped in a vehicle, you have people that are very, very close by, you know it's a white van. I don't know. I feel like we can have a bit of a crack at finding them. And just, I know the story works better um, by having him sort of having to do all the legwork, but it just it just kept hitting me like, surely people are going to be helping a little bit better. I know you've got the wildfires, everyone's busy, but like, I don't know, the opportunities here. That kind of bothered me throughout. That's um, completely fair. And, and the thing that really got me, there was a line, I think it was right at the end when the supervisor <laughs> this, this I reckon I've got this too. <laughs> she said broken people save broken people as if as if it's like a thing that people say every day or as if it's like the most you know um prophetic line that we've ever heard i was like what the hell are you talking about sorry i I dropped my pen because yeah that was (laughs) that was was the only thing i had as well because that was like (laughs) the lamest line i've heard but then afterwards like it's actually a pretty cool line to fit in with the story but you just don't say it out loud (laughs) Or, you know, or you, you phrase a little bit better. Maybe get your thesaurus out and find out another word for broken. So you're not saying broken twice, you know, like. Yeah, um, true. It's like people have been through hardship, help broken people. Yeah, exactly. It was just, it, it really stood out. Well, that, that's not in the original film, that line. So they've added that in. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, that was, that was all I had as well. So um, yeah. I haven't got anything else, but. Maybe we can lead into some themes and some ideas in this one. Uh, what, what do you take away from this? Yeah, I think um, there's a little bit. I, there's, there's this idea of regret and, and and personal reprehension. And obviously this comes across by, by showing the, the human side of being a police officer. Um, we really do get both sides of the story. We know that the, the police in America is, is still quite a, been a very touchy subject for probably the past couple of years, particularly around police brutality. And we've got an officer here who literally says he killed a man for no real reason. And he's dealing with the, the regret and the, and eventually the reprehension side of that. But also, you know, we get to see as an audience through the final, final, final shots about the fact that he's going to jail for it. And um, we, we sort of, there's be people watching this film who are very anti-police. There are probably people who are watching they're very pro-police and there's kind of, you, you get both sides of it, which is an interesting take on it um, because you, you do, as much as you want to hold the police accountable for the things that they do wrong, you, you do need to 
understand that they are human beings dealing with this thing. And we're seeing him dealing with it in the aftermath and the personal demons that he has from that. And, and those personal demons, how they impact those people around him. Now we see it literally in the room with how Rudy is to the people that he works with. But we obviously see the fact that his marriage is basically ended off the back of this. We see um, he's, he's no longer working the job that he wants to, his relationships with people aren't as good. So, you know, there's a lot more to it than, than meets the eye with, with this police brutality stuff. Not that you can never condone it. And I think um, there's a reason why he goes to jail and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's, there's yeah. a bit there. I, I, I agree with you. Cause like at the start, when I, when I was watching this film, I was like, you know, and you mentioned this in the, the parts you didn't like, it was almost like they were pushing that idea that the police don't have enough funding or they don't have enough resources to, to do what they do. But then, you know, on that other side, there is that, that big idea of this dissatisfaction with the police because, you know, even Abby, the, the little kid, you know, says police aren't protectors, they hurt people. Yeah. And, and you see this through Joe, he's brash. Um, he acts before he thinks and he's acting on this emotion and, you know, he's yelling at Henry that, you know, I want you to be executed before he even knows the whole story. And mm. it doesn't quite go with this whole idea of like defunding the police or, or, t- or you know, getting rid of the police, but it, it does come across towards the end as very critical of, of the police work, I guess, too. Um, and sort of leading on to a bit, there's this idea through Joe in particular, this idea of masculinity where, you know, the first, first thing that comes to his mind is I need to save this damsel that's in distress and you know has this macho idea that you know I'm gonna I'm gonna save the world without assessing the whole situation. And that obviously leads into his police work, which we've seen before. And um, you know I think that the opening title shot was a, a quote from the Bible where it was talking about the truth, and it's like you know the truth shall make you free um, from from John. And what is what is the truth in the situation? And does his truth actually redeem um, Joe as a character? I'm I'm, I'm not 100 sold on it yet, just but that's where it tries to lead you to and and just briefly to that the idea of this the mental health crisis that the world is facing at the moment too that this whole situation could have been avoided but you know the people that needed the medications couldn't afford it because their discounts had run out mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and and that's a really unfortunate thing and and in that background too you've got that idea of those those wildfires like this environmental disaster that leads into with everything that's happening that, you know, there's so many issues that we have to deal with in the world, like poor police, environment, mental health. Where do we allocate the the right amount of support? And it's a, a tricky situation. It's a great assessment. Yeah, it, it, it paints a grim picture, but a, a grim picture that we're kind of used to, that we just, mm. we deal with day to day and it, it just spells it out a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what did you take out from this film? Yeah, look, I... I enjoyed the tension that was built and obviously that was created slowly throughout. And I think it's probably paramount to the success in a film that's based purely on dialogue. So it's a difficult thing to do when you you haven't actually got any action on screen to create that. So I think um, in a sense, they really got the pacing right to cap that off so well. Um, Would this film have been better in a cinema? I think it would, but can I see a movie like this being made for a big cinematic release? I can't, not anymore. I think I think those days are gone, even though the fact that you've got a big-name director and a big-name actor, this is not the kind of film that's going to get you into the cinemas. Um, I thought of the movie Buried, which, again, it's over 10 years old now, but it's probably a good comparative title that a movie like that where it is pretty big-name actor, basically one location, a lot of dialogue. Um, that movie 
you know, well, I think it was like 2010, did $20 million worldwide, which is nothing special. Um, only the 1 million in the US, by the way. It's a 7 out of 10 on IMDb, but it had a $3 million budget. So there's a chance to make money for it again. But if Buried came out this year, I can't see that getting a cinema release or doing well in the cinemas, even if it did have Ryan Reynolds, who's probably got another 10 years of stardom to his name. So um, I think this is the sort of, these are the sort of movies we will see more on on streaming services or straight to, you know, straight to VOD and um, and big name actors can hopefully, and directors can hopefully still get behind them. Excellent. That, that was good. Yeah. I, I, the same line I, you started with is I felt really tense this whole film. Um, a couple of bits, I guess, they, on the call at the start, they mentioned that they're on the um, I-10 freeway. And I was like, ah, oh, this is, remind me of Take the 10, the, the, the um, Netflix <laughs> film that we did a long, long, long time ago. Um, and oh, that was a bad one. That uh, wasn't too good. Uh, the other thing I saw, I was going through some reviews and I just wanted to bring up this line. There's a reviewer that has one of their lines was Jake Gyllenhaal never phones his performance in. <laughs> I thought that, that made me laugh. I was like, very, very clever. Um, very, very good way of putting it. And I, I guess this is the, the, the part where I'll sort of just discuss a couple of differences um, between the original oh, yeah. where, so realistically, the original doesn't have any of those bathroom scenes. Um, so no no movement at all apart from those two call center rooms and so that that removes that whole setup of the the puffer and and all those sorts of things there's no wildfires it's just a a rainy night so it takes out that whole background of of what's going on and there's no communication with his ex-partner and there's no mention like that there's no um photos on his phone of his daughter or anything like that there's not even a mention of his daughter so i think that 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 really worked in this film um having that daughter as that that connection that he had um there's a call early on in the original film where he calls his um partner to sort of say that um you know early on that you know that the partner's lying about the the court case that's happening the next day so that sort of didn't come till a bit later on in the, in the Netflix version, mm. which I think was, it was a good hold off. Um, and as I mentioned before, they had that stress ball instead of the puffer. Uh, and there's a few cultural differences. Like, you know, when uh, Joe's talking on the phone, he's asking, you know, what's your favorite food? And instead, of, I think she said like a Slurpee in, in this one. And in the original, yeah, right, yeah. she said a pork sausage. So that was a, that was more <laughs> a, um, a, a European um, type of food. Um, so I guess the big thing is that the, the younger brother or the the son um, actually dies in the original, isn't still alive. Uh, at the end. Um, okay. And he does get those calls from the reporter, but this film ends with him just walking out of the call center, picking up his phone. So you don't actually hear that conversation of him actually admitting his guilt. So it's left into the, the audience's interpretation as to what that phone call is. So you're just assuming he's calling the audience. So yeah, just a couple of little differences from the original. Can I ask, did you find the main character more likable in the original or the remake? Uh, definitely more likable in the original, but the performance is nowhere near anything like John Hall. Yeah, but that's interesting though, that because obviously if he hasn't got the daughter stuff, there's no real reason. The audience doesn't need more of a reason to sort of sympathise with him a little bit because you do as an audience when you find out that he's not seeing his daughter and he might not see his daughter, you sympathise with him. So it's interesting that they added that in. It's literally like the opposite of what I said before. The the original, the the performance of the the main guy is literally a phone-in performance. There was nothing that stood out at all. Um, yeah, yeah right. it's interesting, interesting. Time to move on. Did you go into IMDb to check anyone out? 
I didn't, um, but I did. I did make sure I read the credits very closely because there's just lots of voices. Um, I obviously picked up on Ethan Hawke's voice, and I picked up on Bill Bur- Bill Burr's voice when he rang in from the nightclub. Um, <laughs> but I didn't pick up on Peter Skarsgård or Riley Keough. Um, not that I would overly recognise them from their voices anyway. But there was a lot of voices. Where I'm like, oh, I wonder if that was someone, and then just waited until the end. Yeah, good. Do you have any questions that you wanted to ask? Yeah, and it's, I'm glad that you just mentioned this about the ending when you compared it with the original. Because, like, what were your thoughts on the ending? Because to me, it felt like a really political move to have the final scene with all the headlines and him pleading guilty and almost like the, the bad cop who had an out, but he put his hand up to face the consequences. Because to me, the film was less about the court, court verdict and more about, A, the scenario, B, Joe's personal journey. You could have ended it, and this is interesting you said, you could have ended it after his phone call in the toilet with Rick because uh, obviously he says, hey, no, I don't want you to lie anymore. Or at a stretch, him dialing the journalist and then that's it. Um, I would have preferred that than, than the actual final scene. Yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting point because if, I feel like, you know, this is a 2021 film and you want to... Uh, support that idea of, I guess, what's the the common idea in, in society at the moment. And obviously from what we see anyway across the, the media coverage that we get is that there is a lot of dissatisfaction with the police. So, um, yeah, they, they, they've obviously put that in for a reason at the end to not necessarily say that this these are our, our thoughts and our ideas, but obviously to give that clarification as to where they wanted that character mm. to end. Um and it works so well in that current situation of, of what's happening in America. Like, you know, this, this film was made three years ago in, um, in Europe and yeah. you can take that story and, and make it a story that, that becomes very Americanized uh, quite easily. So yeah, I, it's a, it's a tough situation because I, after seeing the Netflix one and then watching the original, I, I didn't, I, I much preferred the Netflix, um, the ending because I enjoyed him sitting in that bathroom crying and, and seeing that emotion and, and him making that choice that, he knows he's not going to see his daughter and seeing that photo of his daughter on his phone that he's looked at so many times. It just made it such more an emotional situation to know, yes, he's going away. I like that, but I didn't, I, I like that, but I still would have liked them to leave it all a little bit gray. I like the yeah. phone call with Rick where he says, don't lie about me. And Rick's like, well, no, 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 that's not what we planned. And then end it there. End it there. Like, Oh, I wonder if Rick actually went in there. I wonder if he played it guilty. I just felt a bit, and I, and I, I a hundred percent get it. And I get that this, yeah this footprint that this movie is going to leave in America is, is more important than a young mid <laughs> early thirties guy in Australia and his, <laughs> how much he appreciated the end of a film. Um, <laughs> but, but I would have preferred it to have just ended there despite understanding why they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's what film's all about is uh, people coming up with different uh, ideas. That's it. Anything else? No, nah, that was all. And this sort of comes from the end too. Do you do you think that at the end of this film that Joe becomes a good man, that he is a good man now because of this, of him owning up to what he's done? And, and that's where I, I sort of, I've mentioned this earlier. I'm not 100% sure I'm sold on it. Yeah. And I mean, what's a, what's a good man as well? I think, I think, I, I believe that he understands a lot more of his actions. I think even just the fact that he did what he did um, hadn't really hit home until he was able to really open up about the fact that he killed a man and the reason why he killed a man. You get the feeling that he's never actually 
voiced what he said on the phone to anybody before. And that sort of hits home with him. So he's got that remorse potentially for the first time. He understands why his life is sort of in a bit of a free fall. Um, whether he's a good man or not is, is really hard to tell, but at least he's sort of taken that step of acceptance. Yeah, good. Uh, last one. I, this was just, are you interested in watching the original? Um, maybe. Uh, probably as much as I did enjoy the film, the fact that you said that it's very similar to this oh, film wouldn't so make me rush to see it. <laughs> nah. Yeah. I would take a maybe big, I'd watch I would take it in a couple break. of years. Yeah, like the fact that I know that it's still good, and <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm definitely interested. Yeah, good. All right, um, I think we're almost up to wrapping this one up, where we give the film a rating out of five and, and see how we go. So finish us off. Yeah, well, I enjoyed the uh, the slow rise, and I enjoyed the tension that sort of came within the climax, and obviously that visceral connection that came from it all. Um, I. I wasn't necessarily on board with the one and only character and it probably potted around a bit more than I had hoped. Um, but it was still a really good sort of Saturday night movie watch um, for 90 minutes with a great, as I said, great director, Hollywood star, good watch, three stars. Nice. Yeah. I, it was going to have to be like a, a really poor performance from, from Jake Gyllenhaal for me not to like this one, I guess. And, and his performance was fantastic. Uh, you know, without this, performance this film doesn't really work uh, and that's where i think and i know i'm very it's probably controversial and different to what a majority of of people think i think that this is better than the original um and, and i'm okay to say that i might be the only person in the world that thinks that, that <laughs> i feel like the, the little additions that they made to make this relevant to where america is right now and like that relationship with the police force um and it, it just makes it more than a thriller where you, you just want to see who dies and lives. You, you you're on board with what's going on underneath this as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I'm giving this a four out of five. Cool. So uh, gives us a three and a half. So that, I think that's a, a decent uh, sort of, it sits at exactly the same as Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We, we, we could get a gig on Rotten Tomatoes. Give us a <laughs> yeah, We bloody should get a gig. Anyone can get a gig. Rotten Tomatoes crap. <laughs> <laughs> we we are on social media we have facebook twitter and instagram so please give us a follow give us a like follow our posts this uh this sort of question for our social media is, is have you ever had to call emergency services yourself interesting question for social media i uh i um, <laughs> you don't, I don't have to think, give us I, I haven't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i um there's a couple of situations where um, I've been involved where we've had to, but the one that sort of stands out to me is like, I was in the city with my wife or we away for like a, a weekend away. And we're just walking. It was like, it was late at night. We had dinner, probably been out somewhere and we're walking home. And there's this guy that's got the absolute living daylights kicked out of him in front of us. And these, these two people ran off and there's this guy bleeding on the floor. So we, oh, we stood wow. with him and called the Ambos um, to make sure that they got there. So yeah. Um, oh, bloody hell. Yeah. Was, and was, I've had other situations too, but we won't mention those. Um, We'll move on, and and obviously uh, we do. As mentioned at the start, we have a huge back catalogue, so um, please do check out some of our other films if you like Jake Gyllenhaal. We've we've done a couple of uh, Netflix films with him, Okja, if you were interested in um, a, a film with him, as well as Velvet Buzzsaw. So um, you can check those out if you if you're interested. All right, that um, pretty much brings us to the end. So thank you for coming along on this uh, bonus journey, which I've really enjoyed. 
I'm glad. I'm glad I came on board. I know you you wanted to do the pod with someone, but you would have done it on your own if I wasn't around. But uh, I had a bit of time on Saturday night and watched it, and uh, glad we did it. And it's made me very happy to actually talk to someone about it than just myself. So um, thank you for being here. And um, we are back um, as regular for our episodes on a Wednesday. Looking forward to it, mate. We uh, we might even do another bonus episode one day. Good. What film? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe we should do a Squid Game one. We actually branch into TV series. That would be controversial. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Excellent. It's been good. And I'll speak to you soon. All right. See you, mate.